The first cut, cut, the first cut, the first cut, cut, first, the first, first cut, cut, cut. Hello, welcome back to In the Cut, uh, our regular, well, semi-regular, kind of weekly thing that we do with editors where we sit down and have conversations with some of the world's best editors. This week, we have uh, Michael Jablow. Now, if you don't know Michael, um, Emily, do you, do you know Michael? I know his the film that he worked on, Old School, which is, like, amazing. Yeah. It changed old, my life. Yeah, Old School was... was, was I realized I don't have to grow up. So that taught me a valuable lesson. Uh, also, uh, have you seen Throw Mama from the Train? Do you, do you, do you yes. know that one? Owen! Were you actually born when that movie was made? I was young enough to be terrified of the mom. Okay. Did they, did they succeed in throwing her off the train? Yeah, you'd have to watch it. I um, think I'm going to watch it again. again. I hope I can find it in SD. Oh, and you know what? Uh, by the way, I just re- I just rewatched The Last Castle the other day, which is an amazing movie. Really, really, really cool. Also edited by Michael. So amazing. Now, neither Emily nor I interviewed Michael. We didn't have that honor. Jeff had that honor. Uh, I don't know where he is right now, but he'll be on the sub- on, on the podcast. Hey, like, we like should now. listen to it too. Then yeah, let's do that. Okay, let's do it. One, okay. two, three, go. Go. I'll just teach you simple cuts to start with. Yeah, I know. How, how did you? How did you guess? How did you guess? So what? Like, th- th- working consistently. Are we shooting? Yeah, yeah. Okay, you have a sound level that's okay. Yeah. Okay. Working, so, uh, working consistently since 1976. Yes. How many? How many pictures? How many pictures? As a full editor, I have cut 30 feature films. I don't even know how many I've worked on as a film doctor. I you oh, know, so they'll call you in. And they you, call me. They I come in sometime and work for a week or two or three weeks to do a polish on a film. I just finished a picture which I don't even know when it's coming out called um, Aztec Warrior with Luis Guzman for um, Lionsgate mm-hmm, and. Yep. I just um, literally last Friday finished a picture called Love Sick with um, Matt LeBlanc and Allie Larder, an indie for that I worked on for three weeks for some friends of mine. And so, and so they bring you in because it's like it's working, but they just don't have the confidence it's going to get there? Or? Yes, or it's not working. I mean, in some cases I'm called in when the film is a complete disaster. And I'm literally asked what I can do to salvage it. Okay. So uh, let's try and dovetail some things here. Because I, sure. I, I, going back to your early days, you obviously weren't cutting on an Avid or no. an Edit Droid. No. Or no. any kind of video system. We started out working on leather scraped very, very thin and <laughs> sew the frames together. <laughs> or, or use and, nail polish to glue it. I, I, but it, I heard it expressed once that the, dip, you know, okay, so the I'll, I'll, I'll exp, ex, 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 be expository for a minute here. Yes, certainly. So, it's, it, it, you know, it's, it was expressed that, you know, if you wanted to recut a five-minute scene yes. back in the day, you have a yes. big room, tons of bins lining the wall. Yes. You have takes tape together. You have to open the book, the log book, check the tape, go in, make a new slash print of it or whatever. Um, spend time. It, would, it could take up to a week to recut a five-minute scene. Oh, absolutely. Right. Sometime, right. Much, uh, sometime much longer. Right. Um, depending. 
Um, the last show that I did on film was Commandments um, for Ivan Reitman uh, and Joe Medjic. And that was a doctor film where they felt that the film was not working. And I came in... What's the story of the movie? The story of the movie, it's basically the story of Job set in modern-day Greenwich Village with Aidan Quinn as Job and... um, Except it's cast as a comedy. Right, 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 right. So, so when, and, it, when it came and, to you, what was, what was failing miserably about it? Uh, the film just was not working at all, and they had replaced another editor that they were not happy with, who was um, halfway between the film world and the digital world, in that he was cutting on an old-fashioned convergence system whereby all the film was transferred to three-quarter-inch video. It was a not a non-linear, but a linear editing system. So all they had of his work was actually laid down on videotape. In one long tape. Yes, in one long tape. And um, be that as it may, I went right back to zero. And you threw out his cut. Yes, right. I threw out his cut and went back and reconstituted all the film and built an entirely new cut on uh, on film. On film, and that's the last show that I uh, that I ever did on film. The difference between film and um, digital editing, yeah, is just a matter of mechanics. I mean, in terms of the way that one thinks about the film, the thought process is identical. Right. Um, A few years ago, I did, um, I was on a panel with uh, Richard Marks and Don Camburn and um, Lindsay Klingman uh, at the Academy, and we were all asked if we would go back to work on film, and none of us said that we would go back to work on film. Right. It was so much time spent um, with the logistics of things. You were set talking about a five-minute... Um, scene. You know, a fi- uh, recutting a five-minute scene. Well, the scene might not be recut from, from top to bottom. A lot of things you would keep. But, for instance, to uh, in a much bigger sense, to restructure an entire movie and take scenes from reel three and put them in reel one... That kind of work could take three or four days before you uh, before it even got back to the editor because the assistants would be pulling scenes apart on uh, editing benches with reels and synchronizers and rebu- literally rebuilding the film into um, the order in which it's supposed to be. Today on the Avid or Final Cut Pro, I would just duped the entire uh, the entire project so that I had exactly what I had and go and rebuild the reels in 40 minutes right you know it is just a matter the the wonder of digital editing is that it allows you to think of something and to try things without um, spending a great deal of time I mean, in, the, in some ways, people will say, uh, some people say that there's not as much um, 
care thinking thought yes, yes exactly okay. yeah. cogitation yeah well you, you, um, it's just, there's also something with the act of cutting uh, and gluing that, well there is yeah. but it it is you know and I literally still have dreams about being back in the editing room and cutting and splicing and rolling film through machines. But in terms of the actual creative part of filmmaking, it is just so much easier. And the thing that you can say that you may not sit there and think about something so much, so you don't go down a wrong path, but you're also liberated by the digital process to try things that you would never try before because you can simply dispense with them or if they don't work in some time, you have that one aha moment and it is magic where something that you had absolutely no idea would work or were absolutely certain would not work that you put together and it makes something new. Got it. Um... When I started as an editor, I would say, no, I don't think that will work to directors. I never say, no, I don't think that will work to directors anymore. I today. say, let's try it today. Yes, I'm happy to try anything. And because because the, the, the medium allows you to... Yes, the medium allows you to try a lot of different things and have a lot of different... Um, attitudes towards things and that is creatively it's very liberating so has there been a downside i mean i don't want to put you know like ask a loaded question but if there's a downside to the development i mean and i'm just um, thinking, you know like there was a period of time when <clears throat> tony scott all of a shalom his uh his films were becoming so cutty yes that it was almost you know come on you know well you know. i mean that is a, that is a choice That really is a creative choice. It has nothing whatsoever to do with... um, The technology. The technology. uh, Dear old friend of mine, Mark Goldblatt, who cut the first Rambo movie and the first uh, first two Terminator movies and Titanic, um, developed a lot of that early single-frame cutting and, and, and short cutting when he was working for Canon Films. And he's sort of famous for that. And but that's not a matter of You're saying it's it not it, it wasn't it was didn't happen because Absolutely okay. it did not okay. happen okay. Because, uh, because of digital. You may say it happened because of television, or it may have happened because of video games or or because people have a much shorter attention span, because the style of editing in the last thirty years has totally changed. Right. But um, let's talk about that. How has the style of uh, uh, to finish your sentence? Go, yes, go. I mean I was going. Uh, it's just people used to um, allow things to play a lot more without cuts. They were uh, they were very used to playing things without cuts. Now, when you um, people expect things to happen. So very often, for instance, like when I get a scene that is just a wonder, you know, a wide shot with the camera up here and, you know, the frame down on the feet and it's literally just like us, two people talking to right, each other. Right. I very often will go in and do a digital push-in on the, uh, on the app to simply keep something happening or create digital push-outs. This is especially so in... 
television or low-budget movies where you're not able to shoot as much film. And so, I mean, in the old days, we used to take, uh, to do very similar things. We used to, you know, do some resizing. But now, for instance, with digital technology, with the Alexa camera, I can blow something up 50%. And the day is coming when I'll be able to blow it up 150% or 200%. Right. Uh, Jim Cameron did a lot of work like that in Terminator. Uh, not in Terminator, I'm sorry, in... Um, Avatar? Avatar, exactly. Where he would... But he would shoot close-ups of people and then take them and use them in, in wide shots. Because oh, really? He, yes. Oh, the opposite. Yeah, so he was laying... Uh, literally, because he was creating bodies of alien characters who had human faces, and the people were, um, were acting. So very often... He would sometimes he would shoot a close up. Sometimes he would shoot a full shot. But because he was shooting it with such high digital density, I think he was shooting at something like eight K or ten K or twelve K. So there was a tremendous amount of information per frame. He was then able to take the images and virtually create new shots out of them, wow. which is something unprecedented. I mean. For years, editors have been um, flopping shots or, you know, speeding yep. shots yep. up. Ramping, yeah. But um, the digital process has really added to that enormously. To give you some idea of how far a lot of things have come, um, the first big feature that I ever worked on was Hair with Ben Milos Forman directed. Yeah. Um, Milos grew up and had his early career in Czechoslovakia. And in Hair and all his other movies, up to that point, you will see that he has no dissolves and no fade-outs and fade-ins. It's all hard cuts. Everything are hard cuts. And the reason is that he said that the very process of duping a shot to do uh, a fade or a dissolve because you pick up so much grain yes. that it signals to the audience yes. that there is yes. a change that's about, Come, about uh, to happen. That's about yep. to happen. Yep, yep. And and it, it, it's true. You watch an old movie, and all of yes. a sudden, all of a sudden, it, the, the image will go from clean to like just not distorted, but just very yes. green, and then you get this transition to dissolve to something else, and then it cleans up again. You know? Yes, and you can see it now. It's true. Yes. So he had, that was so distracting to him. It was so distracting to him. We actually have three dissolves in the beginning of Hair, and there are no other dissolves in the film. Um, everything was conceived as just straight cuts. What's the favorite movie that you've cut uh, of yours? That I've cut um, sixty one which was directed by Billy Crystal for Home Box Office. Uh-huh. It was just... I don't know the film. Okay. I, I'm going to edit was, out me saying I don't know the yes, film. Yes, well, you're, you're Canadian. We have this yeah. game in America called right. Baseball. Right, 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 right. I heard of this. This, is, this is the one with, with a hoop, right? Yes, yeah, it is. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. It is. So, so, so what's 61 in, about? 61 is about the um, race in the summer of 1961. Oh, Roger Maris? Between Roger Maris and yeah. Mickey Mantle right. to break Babe, home, uh, Babe Ruth's 60 home run record. Right. And um, 
Ruth's widow and all of baseball did not want Maris to do it. He was getting death threats. Um, yep. People were, I mean, he, was, uh, he, he had hate mail. Um, and this is about that summer. And uh, the irony is that, uh, that Mickey and Roger, who were uh, pitted against each other in this race for the, uh, for the home run title, were really good friends and roommates. And not particularly competitive at all. Right. Um, and Billy Crystal, who is the biggest um, Yankee fan in the world, directed yeah. it. Ironically, I am a person with a complete sports bypass. I never care who wins and loses. <laughs> sports I have, bypass. <laughs> I have um, an inborn sports bypass, too. Yeah, yeah no, yeah. Um, I've ended up being an expert in, in doing sports movies. I've done... Four baseball pictures, uh, baseball the, TV the, show. The four was 61. 61, Little Big League. Oh, yeah, great um, little movie, yeah. For um, Castle Rock. Um, I did 61. I did The Naked Gun, which is actually also a baseball movie. The movie's only 80 minutes long, and oh, yeah. 50 movie, uh, minutes of it take place at a baseball Now, do you game. have any outtakes of OJ from that movie that you can release to the public? For- I all packed up and belong to the um, studio. The studio, yeah. but you know. So let's talk about. Oh, what can I say? OJ never attacked me once. I have never, <laughs> never known whether I should feel bad about that <laughs> or, you know, yeah. neglected. But yeah. but did you you know have to look back a few years later? And go. I wonder when he had that hand on me and he said, "I like you, Michael." <laughs> you know, thank, thank God. You know, <laughs> um, uh, Naked Gun is. Falls into the spoof category. Yes, Zucker brother. I believe it's a Zucker. It no, was, yes, Zucker brother. Firing, firing on all cylinders. Yeah, but they're firing on all cylinders. Yes, right, like firing on all cylinders. Yes. And this is follow up to. I mean, they made the Kentucky Fried movie. Yes, and then they had they had the actual. They did airplane. They did airplane. They, they did, had the series. The, the series. The actual. Yes. The, the, which which was this was based on. And then they and did I a saw show, a few episodes. And of that. then they did, did a show. It only went six episodes. I saw that. that yeah, that was yeah. it. Then they did a show called Top Secret for Paramount. Top Secret, which was a great spoof war movie with Val Kilmer, but also flopped completely. I didn't know that it flopped. It to- was a total. Oh, I just saw it on video when I was, to- I was eight years old and thinking it was hilarious. You're a youngster. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and um, so, so how did it, how did you get the job on the Naked Gun? I had just cut Throw Mama from the Train. And oh, there's another fantastic picture. Yes, and literally, when in Hollywood, when you're hot, you're hot. And Throw Mama was out in the theaters, and they just called me up and asked me to come in for an interview. I had a cold. I was completely out of it for the interview, and they hired me 10 minutes late. <laughs> um, so, you know, I've been in both places. Uh, right, right. My friend Stephen Jellin. because you're so tall. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> my friend Stephen Jellenhall called his company for years uh, roller coaster pictures. Right. Because there are times when you're way, way up there, and there are times when you're a bum that nobody wants to talk to. Right. Let's talk um, a little bit about Throw Mama, just sure. to get specific. Okay, so the story is about this failing author. Yes. Billy Crystal. Well, not a failure. Not a failure. This author. A, he's, a, he's a guy with writer's block. It's a guy, it's Billy Crystal's a guy with writer's block. Yes. His wife has stolen his last book. Yes. And made his, herself a celebrity. And he's teaching this writer's class. And he's got this nebbishy guy in his class, played by Danny DeVito. Yes. Who misunderstands him and thinks that the 
instruction to go see strangers on a train means that he's going to kill his wife. And, That's right. And 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 Billy Crystal's going to kill his mom. Saw the movie that in the theater. That was thrilling because I got to re-edit Hitchcock. <laughs> so crisscross, crisscross. So you do your murder, I'll do mine. No, I'll do your murder, you do mine. Yeah. By, by the way, when you're watching Strangers on a Train, is it noted how specific they are with the with the placement of how one guy's on the right and one guy's yes. on the left, and then and then at a certain point he gets up and switches. Anyway, so you, 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 there's one sequence in the movie. I think it's towards the end when he's at, when when Danny DeVito is getting ready to actually, or I think Billy Crystal is actually going to do it, going to finally yes. do it in the train. In the train, he's like, "I'm going to go kill the bitch with yes. this great yes. performance." When she comes up with the word "sultry," which right. is the word he's looking, they're looking for. for. <laughs> <laughs> it's like "sultry." The night was sultry. It was a wonderful performance. What's the name of that actress again? Anne Ramsey. Unfortunately, she had had cancer, had half her tongue removed before she did that movie, and died six months later. But she was a trooper. She she was a a tremendous... She was just incredible. She had been, you'd never know it, but she had been a a Connecticut debutante in the 1940s. Are you serious? Yes, who became a big beatnik. And oh, one, so it was just the drugs. That, uh, and at one point, had joined the Living Theater with Julian Beck and traveled Europe. Um, so she's like like a major, major like uh, yes. culture yes icon. So so, so the, the wonderful cut where Billy Crystal is coming up to finally do her in, and then all of a sudden she falls in, and and uh, and Billy Crystal's there, and he gives her a kiss and a hug, and says, right. "It's okay, Mom. It's okay, Mama." Yes. Just tell me about that cut because I remember being a kid in the theater and it just it just hits you and it just it everything's fine, everything's fine. Like you just you know. So was it just a, did you have to play with it a lot or did it find itself really easy? No, that found itself really easy. That sequence um, just went together like butter. There were some things that were slightly you know. That I had to do that were slightly unconventional, where you know some cuts were unmotivated and things like that. But that sequence, I there was a lot of footage on it, and um, that I didn't struggle with at all. Uh, it's because it, it's it's a, it, I think the whole movie <clears throat> kind of revolves on that that moment. Yes, you know because you all of a sudden see that Danny, you know that he does, you know that that's how that story is going to resolve. And the name of the movie is Throw Mama from the Train. It's true, you know? but if you want um, an interesting story about another scene in that movie. Yes. We had taken the movie and previewed it a number of times. And it previewed okay. It was previewing in the 70s, which is not great but not terrible. Um, you know, you always want your movie to to preview in the '90s because that means that everybody that sees it loves it. Right. But Throw Mama was a rather oddball movie, and it was an Orion picture. Orion was formed by the guys who decamped from United Artists right. and started their own studio: Eric Pleskow and Arthur Krim and Benjamin. Um, but they took a no-blind bid print of the movie and um, previewed it without our knowledge in New Jersey. And on the last preview in um, 
Los Angeles, Eric Pleskow, who is very European and, 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 you know, walked up to Danny and asked him if he would cut the coin scene, which is the scene where, where Owen shows, uh, shows Billy Crystal his, his coin collection and says, this is a nickel change my daddy gave me from this. And, this is, and it was all change that his daddy had given him. <laughs> and he asked he asked to um, remove the scene from the movie. Okay. And Danny, who is I don't know four foot eight, walked up to him, stood right next to him, looked him in the face, and said, "I'll cut your balls off before I'll cut that scene out of my movie." <laughs> <laughs> and so it did. It stayed in. The scene stayed in the movie. Right, and I think it's uh, uh, the other. Maybe the great resolution of the movie, but I think that but what, scene what brought, where what you brought, understand that yeah. Owen is sort of this is sort of this extreme is not just this this demented dwarf, but is this really sweet guy, yeah. you know, who misses his dad. Right. Um, I think it's the pivotal scene of the movie that makes it you know something more than just. Um, a normal comedy. It's, yeah. it's it's up there in the top five films that I've ever done. Right. Well, it's a fantastic film, and it still jumps out. Uh, whenever I think of that movie, I think of a perfectly structured movie. I, I still remember Billy Crystal saying, you had, you had a murder mystery that was three pages long with two characters, one of which dies uh-huh. on page two. That's right. The <laughs> yeah. guy in the hat, the yeah. guy in the other hat. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, well, ironically, we didn't have an end to that movie yeah. um, until the day we finished shooting. Danny, we you just, mean with the, the beach did, and yes, the beach that was literally written when they were in Hawaii, because we just did not have an end to the movie. And Danny, but it seems so natural. It's, I, it's, I one of the, it's the way it is with movies. Once you figure yes. it out, you go, well, why didn't we just do this in yes. the beginning? But to to the audience, <laughs> it's so easy. But we didn't have an end. It was it, you know, it was one of those things. What was what were the endings they were playing with? I don't even remember. I mean, it, you know, it's. Was there, was there one point where he was actually he did kill the mother? Or no, no, no that could never. Happen. There was never a point where he actually killed Mama. Right. I would have to go back and look at my scripts because I have early scripts on that movie in my garage, but right. um, and have never really thought. But if I, I, I do teaching occasionally, and if I, I should go back and check it out. And so it's fantastic because it kind of dovetails to the to the the ship where. DeVito thinks he's killed. Yes. You know. Yes. Um, well, you never know. You know, it's like amazing because very often things are rewritten completely in the editing room. Right. Um, we were talking about Todd Phillips before we started this. Yep. And on Old School, we reshot the last third of the movie. The entire third act. Yes, the entire third act. Uh, Todd had changed the original script when we were shooting the first time and the fraternity who the audience we later discovered grew to love failed every single test to become a real fraternity and the audience hated it they loved the movie up into the point where Will Farrell falls in the swimming pool and then we just lost them lost them and um, we actually went into rewrites, um, restructured the whole end of the film, saving a few small scenes, 
and rewrote and you know and rewrote the whole last third of the movie and reshot it four months after we finished shooting the original film. So how much of that was? Your involvement with suggestions of story. Were you actually sitting down with? with well, Todd yeah, Phillips I was working with Todd Phillips yeah. in terms of de- developing the story. But he and his writing partner were very much the writers, right? But um, you certainly get, it might be nice to do this. Yes, absolutely, absolutely. Right. Because what we did was actually edited a reel together with storyboards, with storyboards showing, uh, you know, and keeping the scenes that we were keeping and showing how they would fit together. So we actually put together, put the whole thing together, the last third of the movie, like a story reel, using whatever we could from the original shoot. And we presented that to, um, you know, Walter Parks and Laurie McDonald to get them to give us more money to reshoot. How? Oh, so it was, it was like there was no money left in the budget to reshoot? No, there was, it was... No, not, not for that much reshooting. Wow. I mean that. So was, that, Todd must have been pretty tense during that time. We would yes, think. Yeah. yes, but it worked out. Yes, tremendously. But Todd is rarely that tense. He's very self confident. I got it. Okay, but <laughs> when 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 you I mean you said you mentioned when in Hollywood when you're hot you're hot. You cut old school. I cut old school. It must have put your star back right on top. I mean, if it had well, been. interestingly enough, it did and it didn't. Um, the when I finished old school, things were very slow in Hollywood, and it took me just a long while to find another picture. And when I finally did, um, it wasn't even anything that I was terribly in love with. You know, it was a pay the bill picture. Um, but you, you know, it's just it's a it's a very strange and peripatetic business. I mean, you know. I'm sorry. We we have a limit on three syllable words here. So <laughs> if you could just, yeah, we just we can't. Yeah, uh, no, no, no. I I, I understand entirely. Um, what you're so I mean, you know, there have been times that uh, that I've been fairly hot. I mean, DreamWorks. Um. Yeah, DreamWorks was not doing anything else. I did four pictures for DreamWorks between 2000 and 2005. Uh, the Contender, um, great movie. The yeah, that is my number one favorite film in my filmography. I, I thought sixty one was. You lied well, to me. Well, no. Well, The Contender That's is sixty one. They're right up there. You know, right, I can yeah. never decide whether my favorite movie of all time is either Cabaret or Singing in the Rain. Uh, well, interesting. <laughs> actually, Singing in the Rain is my wife's favorite movie. I right. Think. Well, it's tough. It's I think for my wife, it's a toss up between Singing in the Rain. And Sunrise. Do you know the the silent film? I do film? know Sunrise. I can't stand it. Oh, wow. uh, <laughs> why? It's too German. Uh, no, I just think the story is uh, the technique is gorgeous, yeah. and the story is so sappy. Oh. <laughs> oh, to me, it's just like it just has me. It has me the whole way through, stylistically. But you know, anyway, we can't. Well, in nineteen twenty-seven, I actually think that Wings is a much better movie. Oh really? Uh, yes. You like Wings much better. I yeah, I but the first and only time I've seen Wings was at the Academy with a tinted print with a 17-piece live orchestra and a sound effects man. Wow. Uh, well, that's and, a totally different experience. You can't you can't, you know what I mean? Right. The experience that's an experience. We should probably bring back that kind of experience to live because we're losing so much uh, importance on live theater, you know, live theater. Oh, I under, I understand. Well, it, it happens occasionally when yeah. Francis Coppola brought back Abel Gonson's Napoleon in 
what was it, 78 or 79, he presented it with a 70-piece live orchestra. Oh, really? Yeah. It must have been tremendous. It was incredible. Were you there? Yeah, I was there. They screened it uh, like that at the Shrine for a week downtown here in Los Angeles and at Radio City Music Hall. Awesome. And, um, yeah, it's pretty amazing to watch a film with a live orchestra. I have to go back and dig over some things that I want to talk about. So there's one sequence in, uh, in Throw Mama from the Train that is just hilarious. You know... Putting on the gloves. Boom, boom. He's marching right. towards her, and then yes. all of a sudden he sees her, he dives under a couch. Yes. And I think he eats something because he sees, like, a, I, I don't know, whatever. <laughs> maybe not. Maybe it's in my head. Gets back up, puts on the gloves again. So it's going. Why, how do you, is it just the music that tips your hat that it's funny? Or how, how, do, you, how do you go from, like, tense to, because later when Billy Chris is going to kill Mama, it's scary. It's actually scary. It's not funny anymore. Right. So how do those two sequences play? I mean, how do you, is it a cutting, is it a timing thing? How do you make, is it just, or is it just all intuitive with you? It's just all intuitive. I mean, it was initially cut without music, at, uh, without music at all. I don't remember what we tempted in there. It was David Newman's first, uh, first big picture. Wow. Um, so it was really a breakthrough, a breakthrough for him. He had only done one other feature, and that was The Brave Little Toaster. Um, I did another three films with David, but... Um, his music contributed a great deal, but it was... I mean, Danny was quite brilliant on that film in choosing angles. Um, you know, I could be wrong, but I tend to remember that there were a certain amount of point-of-view shots where you never even saw Owen, where I think you just saw the gloves. Yeah. <laughs> you know, and, and the gloves in front of the camera and his, right. point, and his point of view. And that in itself, putting you in the, you know, in the subject, in the character's POV and making it very subjective, makes it funny on a whole other level. Right, right. Yeah, no, you're right. Um, um, you know, just the same way that... that when Billy Crystal is hiding in the closet and the police come in and they're interrogating Owen and Mama and they keep going and Owen keeps going over to go into the pantry where Billy Crystal is hiding. I mean, it's just... Hilarious. Yeah, it's just hilarious. Right, right. right. It's just hilarious. But what's interesting to me is that when we were making that movie, we thought we were making a midnight cult film that was going to be playing mostly to college audiences and urban audiences that we never dreamed. That it would be a hit. That it would be a hit. And it was a hit. Yeah, it was a very significant hit. Uh, It wasn't number one, but it was number three at the box office for the Christmas season. And the only reason it wasn't higher is because Eddie Murphy's Raw was in the theaters at the same time. Right. Um, it's interesting that when you're working on a film, you very often have no idea whether, uh, whether it's going to be a hit or not. Um, my friend Joe Medjik, who was one of the producers on um, Old School, yep. we've talked often afterwards. I mean, we did well in, in previews, but before Old School opened, we finished it in November. And it didn't open till March or something like that. And we didn't think it was that it was a home run out of the park. It was going to become a classic comedy. 
right. and was going to make Will Ferrell a big star because Will was still on Saturday Night Live when we shot that movie and it had two other pictures and they both flopped. Um, Got it. So, you know, you just never know. And, um, and on old school, um, you know, streaking to the gymnasium. Yeah. <laughs> that sequence, I mean, you're talking about you know, one of the most memorable comedy sequences over the past several years. That was all reshoot. That was all reshoot. That was all reshoot. Streaking to the gymnasium. Oh no, not the not the streaking to the gymnasium. No, okay. that was the original. That was okay. the original shoot. Sorry, what did you think I was referring? to? I thought you were talking about the uh, the the gym scene where Will was was doing the ribbon dance. Right. Uh, <laughs> that was reshoot because that's the where they. That's, yes, dance. the ribbon dance. Yeah. Was yeah, that. yeah, yeah. Uh, that's Which amazing. is one of my personal favorites, but yes, yeah, streak into streak into the gymnasium <laughs> yeah. was you know. Now is it, you know you've been through movement after movement after movement. I don't mean bowel. I mean yes. you, know, you know of 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 styles of of storytelling coming and go. Things come back. They come. You know, is what have you found in as far as changing your style of editing? Is, is, have you had to like make any adjustments or start faster to keep up with the Joneses or I mean um it's definitely faster I mean you know that that people are very used to a really staccato pace of dialogue and where when I started out editing I might leave a certain amount of air at the beginning of ends and line, uh, uh, of lines. Now it's very rare that I do that unless I have a specific reason. Um, I always wanted a, a, a sampler, you know, a crocheted sampler for my editing room wall that says a minute is a long time. And, um, <laughs> which is something that all editors have got to, uh, have got to remember all the time. Right. Um, because, Especially in comedy, there is a kind of music yes. to the dialogue. Yes. And where things will just like be sailing along at a very rapid pace, and then bam, you pause, punchline. You know, there are certain rules, and there are certain rules that, I mean, you know, there's the rule of three, where you, uh, where you repeat a joke three times, and it's funnier each time. Or there's a, a, a variation on it. Uh, but it's really a kind of instinctual thing that either people get or people don't get. So that, for instance, while uh, the show that I was just doing a polish on, a lot of what I was doing was going in and pacing up dialogue where things were inessential. Because um, there are places where you want to keep things moving, and there are places where you want to slow, uh, slow things down. Um, and that's the main thing that's changed. If you look at storytelling, though, and it really comes to pace of storytelling, films, uh, 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 there are films that have been fast-paced since the beginning of cinema. 100%. You know, Battleship Potemkin is an extremely fast Extremely fast, with film. five segments to it. Yes, so is Mutiny on the Bounty. Yep. I just watched the other night a uh, David Lean film I'd never seen, Hobson's Choice, mm-hmm. um, which was not a terribly cutty film, but within every single shot, 
The Move. actors were absolutely driving the dialogue uh, along, and their comic timing was brilliant. I mean, and the, the overall pace of the film was uh, was just brilliant. So, in in terms of that, you're you're correct that you don't get two frame cuts or three frame cuts, but. There are certain things that require that, and there are certain things that don't require that. Right. There are times that, you know, that kind of thing can get to be so busy that you can't see what the hell's going on, which very often can cover up um, problems with the scenes <laughs> as they existed. Um, or be using to try and cover yes. up. Yeah. Um, when, when you walk into a film, a, 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 a box office, really a big box office, you know, blockbuster, when you walk in and you see, you know, I don't want to name any examples because some of them are very artfully done, some of them not not as much so, but the fighting is, you know, there's no wides. Right. You're not practically seeing the, the punch being thrown so much as it just lands and, you know, it, it, it's, almost, it's almost like you really, they're, they're intending on not letting you follow visually the action so much as just kind of like assuming that you will get what they've... Yes. Is that is that a little bit? I mean, do you do you like it or do you go? No, this is too much for me. It all depends. It literally all depends. There are times when it just annoys the shit out of me <laughs> because I don't understand um, in the big picture what's going on. And to me, the the job of the editor is to tell the story right. and to make sure that the, um, that the audience is understanding the story. Um, Which I, I had a very yeah. strange experience at one point. I was working as a sound editor on Heaven's Gate oh, wow. with okay. Michael Cimino. Yes. And um, I spent eight weeks on that movie right before it opened, working seven days a week, 14 hours a day, um, and Chimino sat us, uh, I was working on this crew, was working on only the battle scene, which was real 23. We had... Real 20, 23. 23. A thousand foot reels, not two thousand foot reels. Uh-huh. But... Still. Uh, yes, yeah, still. Still. It was... <laughs> this, is, this is now... Yes, a, yeah, yes. yeah, yeah, yeah. This is almost, now a, three, almost, three hours. Yeah. Yes. Almost all movies are, you know, even if they're 20, uh, 20 minute reels or five reels, six yeah, reels yeah, five, at six most. Reels, yeah. We were working on reel 23. <clears throat> and Chimino, <laughs> Chimino had um, hired... Stanley Kubrick and David Lean, supervising sound editor Winston Ryder, to come over and supervise that one reel. So me and Wynn and Kurt Schulke and another sound editor are all standing over Chimino's shoulder uh, while he sits in front of us and runs the chem, giving us notes on what he wants for the battle scene. And suddenly, he's grabbing a yellow legal pad and drawing maps on the legal pad so that we can understand what's going on. And basically, the film was shot, it was cut together in such an incoherent way, and which is not to blame any of the editors, because Chimino, very famously on that film... Spent... 
six months trying to get a shot of somebody right off into the sunset. Or yes, something. and also fired right. lots of his editors. Right. Started uh, started out with Tom Rolfe, and when Tom Rolfe argued with him about about something, Tom Rolfe got fired, and then he brought in Bill Reynolds, and then they literally had four different editors at one point editing the the film in four different cities. In four different cities. In four different well, cities. Well, that always helps. Yes. For, you know, communication. <laughs> between. That, that'd be a and good thing. And I felt that that the, uh, that the movie was a disaster right, right. from that point. Right. Because he's sitting there drawing maps for us. Yeah. And you're supposed to understand what the geography is and what's going on in the scene from looking at it in the, in the film. That's the job of the film. And uh, So what you're saying is what, what A Bridge Too Far did so well... This just did so poorly. Yes. Uh, I, uh, you never understood what the logistics of anything were. What were, right. Now, th- there's at least four cuts of that movie that exist now, because they re-edited yes. it. And they, yes. They re- so, and have you seen a version of it now that you... I've never seen the complete movie. <laughs> I've only seen... I've, I've seen a little bit of Real 22, which I ended up working on, and Real 23. That's all I ever saw the movie. Everything was, was very hush-hush. And was on a need-to-know basis. Right. This is the movie that brought down UA. This that, is the movie that brought da- that brought down UA, and everyone yeah. who was working on it knew that we were sitting on the deck of the Titanic, looking at the iceberg. Right? <laughs> I mean, it was not like anybody felt that that that. That all was well, and this film was going to be, you know, a huge hit. Right. It was like so out of control. Wow. Um, okay. Uh, ju- jump, jumping around again. Certainly. You cut. You, you cut. You cut the naked gun. Yes. It's a fantastic movie. Um, you know, I still remember sitting uncomfortably in the theater. I think with my parents when. Priscilla Presley. Nice beaver. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and my dad laughing very loudly and my mother getting angry at my father for laughing so loudly at that joke in my presence, you know? But yes. I meanwhile, I, I did get it. Um, it was actually an homage to Canada, that joke. Yeah, it was. Exactly. <laughs> because, because there were, I think she then says, thanks, I just had it stuffed. Yes. And hands down a stuffed beaver. <laughs> anyway, the point, uh, point is, so... so, so um, uh, what was was there a di- was there a requirement on cutting a spoof that is different than cutting like a comedy that's just sort of more of a less breaking the fourth wall narrative? Yes. Okay. It's totally different. So uh, what is the it difference? It is much more, believe it or not, mechanical. So that the script had a formula. They worked on the script for years before they made the movie. And the script, everything that is in the movie was in the script. Um, I must kill the queen. Yes. (laughs) Right, right. right. But, and the formula was three jokes a minute, three laughs a minute, both for the script and for the finished film. And if a joke did not work, it was out. How many jokes did Did, not work? Lots of them. The finished film was only 80 minutes long. It is the sh- one of the shortest theatrical features that I've ever wor- uh, that I've ever done. You don't even notice and it. Everything? No, you don't notice it. Everything in it is gold. Throughout Mom from the Train is also a very short film. Um, but we didn't care if we violated continuity. 
We didn't care if we fucked up the plot. It was like if a joke didn't work, you pulled it and got around it. Because you had to keep those jokes, uh, those jokes coming at three jokes a minute. Three jokes a minute. So if you if you watch the movie, it's eighty minutes long. You will find two hundred and forty jokes. Yeah, and that'll that'll literally just keep you laughing. And that was the you know that was the way that uh, the way that we did that movie. Right. Um, There was no attention to plot development. I mean, there is, for instance... It has a plot that makes sense. It has a plot that makes sense. Yes, that's true. Um, But, for instance, there was a whole joke. Drevin is wearing um, a blow-up catcher shield. Yeah. You know, or umpire shield in the movie. And there's one point where it's all inflated. And there's another point with no explanation in a few shots later where it's all deflated. Deflated, yeah. And that's because we had a whole sequence there where he was shot in the in the the shield and it deflated and sounded like farts. And we could never make the joke work. So, bam, it was out of the movie. And so that's why it's funny because I, I actually now that I think about it and I think about the effect of the movie. It does have that movement to it, where yeah. it, where you can often the continuity will break, but you don't notice it at all because it's just moving so so right. briskly. Right, and I also mean, it sort of adds to the style of it because you you expect the movie to right to keep mo- to keep moving. Yeah. And the David Zucker, one of my favorite things that he ever said, he referred to all dialogue between jokes as fluch. <laughs> Everything and yes, and obviously anything that was just fluff we could cut. That you know, if it were if it worked, we kept it, and if it didn't work, we just got rid of it. And who cared if anybody understood anything? Got it. Got it. So, uh, well, that's fantastic. So, so it worked out obviously great. It did fantastically well. Right. I mean, that's the real difference between doing. Um, you know, throw Mama, in spite of, uh, of it being a very broad and very wacky comedy, you know, could have a scene in it where there were no laughs at all, like the coin scene where Billy Crystal is, you know, is getting shown Owen's coin collection. Right. And it, to some degree, gives the movie some heart. Right. But that was not the Zucker brothers and Jim Abrams way at all. They were going for laughs from beginning to end. And it's interesting that we were doing that movie at Paramount at exactly the same time that Dick Donner was shooting Scrooged with Bill Murray on the lot. Mm -hmm. And we were opening basically at the same time as Scrooged. And everybody thought that Scrooged with Bill Murray was the big hit. And that we were just like this, because we, uh, believe it or not, The Naked Gun was a low-budget movie. They did, the studio did not especially believe in it. They wanted to be back in business with the Zucker brothers. But they were doing a feature film of a failed TV show. Yes, a very failed TV show. A very failed TV show starring Leslie Nielsen, who was a... <clears throat> who was nobody. Nobody. You know, Leslie Nielsen's... Le- Some uh, Canadian TV actor. Well, he was a, an American TV actor. No, no, I mean, I mean from Canada. From, ca- yeah. from Canada, yes. Yeah. A graduate of the Lorne 
Michaels? No, the Lauren Green, Green School of yeah, yeah, Broadcasting right, in right, Toronto. Right. Um, and very proud of that, too. But the last big role he had had was he was the guy in Nuts that Barbara Streisand murdered. Oh, right. at the beginning of at the beginning of the movie, he was the the weird John who beat her up. So the studio didn't he, believe in it. He he did not believe it. In fact, demanded that we put Chevy Chase in the film, and not they said no. You only get Lauren. Uh, you only get um, Leslie Nielsen. Leslie Nielsen. If you can't get anybody else, and um, so when that movie opened, we and it it just previewed okay. Again, it previewed in the 70s, and we previewed it just around Los Angeles. Um, At one point, we previewed it in Sherman Oaks, in the old Sherman Oaks Gallery, a movie movie theater, and three 14-year-old Siskel and Eberts said they hated the title, The Naked Gun, and the studio went on a three-month title search to change the name of the movie. Ended back up on the naked gun. It ended up back on the naked gun when Frank Mancuso came to the editing room one day and said, you know, I had a picture called Raiders of the Lost Ark that everybody thought was about Noah. So I don't care what you call a fucking movie. Naked Gun's a good title. Let's call it Naked Gun. Right. But um, the one thing that was affected is the original scripted opening of the naked gun was a spoof of James Bond with all these fat women swimming naked underwater in a tank. <laughs> and the roller coaster opening that I think is brilliant that we ended up using was only come up with uh, months after the film was, was shot. That was, yes, that was, that, was, that was a very, very late shoot. That's fantastic. That's fantastic. That was the last thing shot on that movie because we couldn't get the actual title sequence. Last thing that the boys had wanted. That's hilarious. Last yes. thing to ask you about uh, the contender. Totally yes. different film from from your other. Totally films. different. Totally film. different films. Um, it's Rod Lurie, right? Rod Lurie. Yeah. Um, starring Joan Allen, Jeff Bridges, uh, Gary Oldman. Right, and it's basically a story of someone trying to coup Joan Allen. Yes. Uh, as a vice, pre- vice yes. president. And then the coup fails eventually. Yes. But she's got to go on the run from sort of a team of Republican thugs. Yes. Um, so. Who Gary Oldman, by the way, yeah. thought that his character was the hero of the movie. Genuinely? Or was genuinely. that just him getting. No, no, genuinely. Amazing. Yes, I know. That's amazing. Yes. It was, but it, it was, I'll never forget the name he's of the a character. Straight, he's a I saw the movie. He is the a, name of the character is Shelley Runyon, right? Yes, Shelley Runyon. It's, it's just a phenomenal character. It is a pheno- and it's a phenomenal performance. Yeah. Um, he's eating steak, and he says, I ordered you a steak. He's just so yes. pushy, like in this, this sort of soft way, right? He's an absolutely brilliant actor. Yeah. Um, so what was it like cutting Gary Oldman? Oh, my God. Cutting Gary Oldman and Jack Bridges. Right. I mean... If I had to choose a scene from my entire career, it would probably be the scene where Gary Oldman and Jeff Bridges are together on the yacht at night and are talking out their past, uh, you know, their past issues, and you realize that they've been political rivals for years, and that Gary Oldman wanted to be president, right, and had in some way been displaced by Jeff. And, I mean, there was not a day on that film that 
I was not knocked out by the performances and knocked out by the footage and given a tremendous amount of freedom in terms of the way that I cut it together. Um, Rod shot it in some very interesting ways with a lot of moving camera. Yeah, um, I remember there's one steady cam going down the staircase. Yes. A huge scene. and Yes, you know. the, there's a steady cam going down the staircase. But even just the just scene in the Oval Office where Jeff is talking to Billy Peterson. Yeah, it would have motion to it. Yes, the whole everything was shot with moving, uh, with, uh, on steady cam with moving camera. And um, I was able to do some very unconventional things, but the things that I was just really happy with. If, if, you know, I got more calls from fellow editors about that film than anything I've ever done. But wanting it, to know, like, just telling me they thought it was wonderful. <laughs> well, it was I mean, I had film. Don Cameron, who's one of my heroes, Don Cameron, who um, cut Easy Rider and who is one of the greatest editors of all time, as far as I'm concerned. Call me, just call me up personally to tell me that he had just seen The Contender and he was knocked out by what I did in it. It was like, the, I, if I had won an Oscar, it couldn't have been a bigger thrill in getting that phone call. Um, Fantastic. Yeah. Michael Jablo. Thank you thank very you for much. Thank you It was great having you. Well, thank you. No, no, it, it was, was wonderful. It was great being had. <laughs> <laughs> we hope you enjoyed being had. Let me introduce you now. Okay. <laughs> Welcome back to Craft Truck, in the cut, with us today, Michael Jablo, picture editor. <laughs> That's it. Serious depressed picture editor. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, that was great. 